he cannot countenance the fact that all of his subjects in the north will be heading to Jerusalem to mark the sacred moment. And so he sets up two temples of his own, featuring golden calves, creates a separate pseudo-Sukkot on another date, and appoints ministering priests that did not come from the tribe of Levi. Thus is the northern kingdom plunged into a state of sin from which it never recovers. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 293, Kingdom versus Kingdom. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. It is one of the remarkable testaments to the temple that once stood in Jerusalem. And like so much related to the Temple Mount, it was uncovered by a member of the Mazar family. Archaeologist Lean Rittmeyer succinctly summarizes this find, which contains an entrancing inscription that in its current state is cut off mid-word. Quote, One of the most interesting and important discoveries at the Temple Mount excavations directed from 1968 till 1978 by the late Professor Benjamin Mazar was made at the southwest corner in 1969. After digging through Umayyad, Byzantine, and Roman destruction levels, a large corner parapet stone was found lying on its side on the paving stones of the Herodian Street, about 1.5 meter, 5 feet from the southwest corner. A niche was cut out of the inner slope of the stone on its southern side. Above this niche was an inscription written in Hebrew, which read from right to left, Lebet Hatkiah Lahach, end quote. Lebet Hatkiah. These two words are easy to interpret. Lebet means to the house of. Hatkiah is a reference to a tkiah, a blast, issued by a shofar or a trumpet. The inscription on the stone seems to have marked a site up on the Temple Mount from where Kohanim, the priests, would sound trumpets. This highlights the fact that while the shofar throughout Jewish history was the premier religious instrument, the central sound of the temple was the trumpet blast, sounded by the Kohanim, the priests. These trumpets, or chatzotrot, would have been made out of silver, and their origin dates back to the Bible itself. The phrase lebetat then would be to the trumpeting house. But what is the next word? We only have half, usually read as lahach. What was the original full word? Aaron Dembski in the Biblical Archaeological Review describes the various suggestions and then offers one of his own based on the premise that one of the letters inscribed on the stone has been misinterpreted and also drawing inspiration from the rabbinic description of how the priests on the Temple Mount heralded the arrival of the Sabbath. Quote, Until now, everyone has supposed that the third letter is a cuff. Three prominent scholars have tried their hand at completing the inscription on this basis. Their solutions are as follows. Benjamin Mazar, Lehakohen, for the priest. Yigal Yadin, Lehechal, toward the temple. Zev ben Chaim, Lehachriz, to herald the Sabbath. Each of these proposals has its problems. Mazar's proposal for the priest postulates a rear spelling of Lehakohen for the, in two letters instead of one, priest. Moreover, his reconstruction would seem to limit the trumpeting to priests, Kohanim, as suggested by the quotation from Josephus. But from other sources, we know that Levites too man stations around the temple. Yadin's proposal toward the temple seems to be meaningless in this context. There would surely be no need to advise a priest or a Levite where the temple was. Ben Chaim's proposal to herald the Sabbath is unlikely because the verb he proposes, lahachriz, to herald or to proclaim, is used for a vocal act, not a blast from an instrument. Furthermore, this suggestion does not take into account the blast at the end of the Sabbath. 
It will not surprise the reader that when there are several equally difficult solutions to a problem, especially a textual problem, one must ask whether some fundamental mistake or incorrect assumption has been made. I believe this to be the case regarding our inscription. In my opinion, the last visible letter in the third word is not a cuff, but rather a well-attested alternate form of a Herodian bet. The stone engraver used two forms of the letter bet. Compare the bet in the first word, a not uncommon practice in contemporaneous inscriptions. If the last letter in the inscription is Beth, then the third word of the inscription might be completed this way, Lehavdil. The inscription might then be read as follows, Lehavdil ben Kodesh Lechol, to distinguish between the sacred and the profane periods of time. The full inscription would then read, Belonging to the station of trumpeting, to distinguish between the sacred and the profane. Indeed, this phrase is found in the Mishnah, where it describes the trumpeting at the beginning of the Sabbath, and at the Sabbath eve they added six more blasts, three to cause the people to lay down their work and three to distinguish between the sacred and the profane, end quote. To distinguish between the holy and the unholy, to highlight the fact that there are certain times of the week that are more holy than others. This, perhaps, is what the stone described. And of course, there are also certain locations on earth that are more holy than others. And there is one city on earth that is holier than any other because it contains a mountain that is holier than any other. And it is the centrality of this mountain and of trumpets that figure in a fascinating story in the book of Chronicles. Let us review some of the events already discussed in the book of Kings. The monarchy is split between kingdoms north and south, with the south ruled from Jerusalem by Rehavam, son of Solomon, and the north by Jeroabam. Jeroboam ascends the throne with so much potential, and then he ruins everything. As the holiday of Sukkot approaches, he cannot countenance the fact that all of his subjects in the north will be heading to Jerusalem to mark the sacred moment. And so he sets up two temples of his own, featuring golden calves, creates a separate pseudo-Sukkot on another date, and appoints ministering priests that did not come from the tribe of Levi. Thus is the northern kingdom plunged into a state of sin from which it never recovers. After the king of Judah dies, he is succeeded by his son Avia, and war erupts between the two kingdoms. Before the battle against Jeroboam's northern forces, a speech is given by the Judean king, by Avia. 2 Chronicles chapter 13, verse 4. And Avia stood up upon Mount Zemarim, which is in Mount Ephraim, and said, Hear me, thou, Jeroboam, and all Israel. Ought ye not to know that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingdom over Israel to David forever, even to him and to his sons by a covenant of salt? Yet Jeroboam, the son of Nevat, the servant of Solomon, the son of David, is risen up and hath rebelled against his Lord. And there are gathered unto him vain men, the children of Belial, and have strengthened themselves against Rehavam, the son of Solomon, when Rehavam was young and tender-hearted and could not withstand them. And now ye think to withstand the kingdom of the Lord in the hand of the sons of David, and ye be a great multitude, and there are with your golden calves, which Jeroboam made you for gods. Have ye not cast out the priests of the Lord, the sons of Aaron and the Levites, and have made you priests after the manner of the nations of other lands? so that whosoever cometh to consecrate himself with a young bullock and seven rams, the same may be a priest of them that are no gods. But as for us, the Lord is our God, and we have not forsaken him. And the priests which minister unto the Lord are the sons of Aaron, and the Levites wait upon their service. And they burn unto the Lord every morning and every evening, burnt sacrifices and sweet incense. The showbread also they set in order upon the pure table, and the candlestick of gold with the lamps thereof to burn every evening for we keep the charge of the Lord our God, but ye have forsaken him. And behold, God himself is with us for our captain, 
and his priests with sounding trumpets to cry alarm against you. O children of Israel, fight ye not against the Lord God of your fathers, for ye shall not prosper. As Rabbi Alex Israel notes, the speech recorded in Chronicles is surprising, because here King Avia emerges as a staunch defender of the temple, whereas in the book of Kings he is described as an embracer of idolatry. Kings tells us, Now in the eighteenth year of King Jeroboam the son of Nevat reigned Aviam over Judah. Three years he reigned in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Macha, the daughter of Avishalom. And he walked in all the sins of his father, which he had done before him, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. As Rabbi Israel further notes, the Talmud, aware of Avia's sinful state, sees even in this speech in Chronicles theological untruths, such as his blaming the breakup of the monarchy on the northern monarch Jeroboam, though this split was actually decreed by the divine. But King Avia of the Davidic dynasty, as described in Chronicles, clearly does eloquently defend the centrality of the temple and correctly criticizes Jeroboam for his own anti-Jerusalem misdeeds. And in telling us of this speech, Chronicles, or in Hebrew, Divrei Yamim, is clearly emphasizing the importance of Jerusalem. Rabbi Israel puts it this way, quote, Divrei Yamim was composed in the historical context of the early Second Temple period. Its agenda is to boost the fledgling community and Mikdash in Judea, and it therefore focuses on Yehuda to the exclusion of Yisrael, the northern kingdom. In Ezra's time, there was only Yehuda, as the ten tribes had not returned. Ezra is interested in encouraging the nation to value the Mikdash, meaning the temple, to appreciate their impressive historical mission and legacy, and to believe once again in their country. To this end, Divrei Ayamim tells the story of the correctness of the religious institutions of Yehuda, the temple, Koanim, and Jerusalem as opposed to the reprehensible religious order of the northern kingdom. Tivrei Hayamim is interested in bolstering religious commitment to those institutions, and it insists that these are sureties for God's protection. Furthermore, the Sefer, book, aims to reinforce that Jerusalem upholds a long history of correct religious orientation, and it is the historic seat of royal dynasty embraced by God. End quote. Thus, when we combine the teachings of the books of Kings and Chronicles, Avia, the Davidic monarch, is both sinful, as Kings describes, but also able to eloquently enunciate the importance of Jerusalem to the biblical faith and to Israelite eternity. And the text makes clear that it was in the merit of this staunch defense of Jerusalem's centrality that Avia's Judean forces overcame Jeroboam's superior military strategy. Note Avia's emphasis of the priests, the true priests, the Kohanim, sounding trumpets at the moment of the battle. This is a fulfillment of Numbers 10, verse 8, where we are told, And the sons of Aaron the priests shall blow with the trumpets, and they shall be to you for an ordinance forever throughout your generations. And if ye go to war in your land against the enemy that oppresseth you, then ye shall blow an alarm with the trumpets, and ye shall be remembered before the Lord your God, and ye shall be saved from your enemies. It is thus perhaps no coincidence that after declaring the centrality of the temple in Jerusalem, that the premier instrument of the temple is sounded by Avia, and this in turn brings about victory. 2 Chronicles 13.13 But Jeroboam caused an ambush to come about behind them, so they were before Judah, and the ambush was behind them. And when Judah looked back, behold, the battle was before and behind. And they cried unto the Lord, and the priests sounded with the trumpets. Then the men of Judah gave a shout, and as the men of Judah shouted, it came to pass that God smote Jeroboam and all Israel before Avia and Judah. And the children of Israel fled before Judah, and God delivered them into their hand. 
In the end, of course, Jeroboam's northern kingdom would be lost after generations of idolatry. And this story in Chronicles of the southern kingdom of Judah's victory over Jeroboam in the merit of the sounding of these trumpets by the priests of the temple is meant to remind us of Jerusalem's centrality and eternity. It is therefore moving today to look upon this stone from the Temple Mount, a stone that many assume was thrown off the mount during the Roman assault on Jerusalem, and to think of a Jerusalem filled with Jews today embracing the Sabbath just as they did when the trumpets once sounded from the Temple Mount. Thus, Aaron Dembski writes, quote, The plaque itself probably indicated the appointed place from which the people standing below could expect to hear the Sabbath trumpet blasts, which would thus be reinforced by the visual presence of the trumpeter. It was no doubt an awe-inspiring sight to see the trumpeter on the pinnacle of the Temple Mount as the sun set in the west on the sixth day of the week, blasting the air with his instrument to announce the commencement of the Sabbath, end quote. To distinguish the sacred, this is what Jews have done every week in embracing the Sabbath, and this is what Jews have done in their relationship with Jerusalem throughout the ages. This, with love, is what they do still. This is Mayor Soloveitchik. Looking forward to learning together tomorrow. Signing off.